0: When I was in elementary school, I loved school lunch. Not the lunch the school made, but lunchtime. I mean, what was not like? What wasn't the like about lunch? I mean, extended recess, didn't have to be quiet. That was a big one for me. And you had lunch. My lunch was usually made for me by my mom and there was always good food in there and usually some sort of special treat or something looking forward to the hostess cupcake or whatever it was uh, that you would sometimes trade away if you get something better for it. But lunch hour was fantastic. Now I wonder, uh, for those of you especially who are students, maybe you make your own lunch, maybe mom makes your lunch, maybe dad makes your lunch, maybe you get school lunch but I'd like you to imagine for just a moment that tomorrow when you go to school, you're gonna ask your mom uh, to make lunch for you and I have a question for you. If your mom's gonna make lunch for you, are you the kind of student who will say to your mom exactly what you want in your lunch? Are you the kind of person who would say, Mom, make sure it's peanut butter and jelly, and I want the peanut butter on both sides of the bread and the jelly in between, because I don't want the jelly to soak into the bread. And are you perhaps even the kind of person who might watch Mom make it to say, Hey, look, more chips, less carrots, put in the snack. Are you that kind of person? Or are you the kind of student who's like, mom, it would be great, please make me a lunch and then pay no more attention to it until it's time when she hands you the lunch to put in your backpack. Are you the one who wants to watch it happen and be in control of it? Or are you the kind of person who's like, no, mom knows what she's doing, I'm good with it, I'll leave it up to her. Think about that. For the rest of us who are maybe not students or don't remember our student days as well, I have a similar scenario if you're an adult and your mom is still living, imagine this week that you decide, you know what, I should, i want to spend some time with my mom and you call her up and you invite her to lunch. And your mom says to you, you know what, why don't you come over here and I'll make lunch. If that's the case, are you the kind of person who will say to your mom, mom, here's what I want you to make, and tell her what you want for lunch, or... Are you the kind of person that's like, you know what, mom, whatever you make, it'll be great. The reason I ask us to sort of think through those scenarios is today we're going to look at a passage in the Bible in which someone is asking God for something. We opened our service and Don led us in an exercise of, before we even began of asking God to do something. And in our passage, we're going to find that there's a good way to ask God to do something and a great way to ask God to do something. And my encouragement is, as we look at this passage, uh, to be encouraged to ask God in a way that is going to please him and bless him. So if you will, would you take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 789. Page 789, we provide those Bibles because we love for people to open the word of God and to listen and to look uh, as God speaks to us through his word. Matthew chapter eight, I'm gonna read the story that's in verses five uh, to 13. And we're gonna see that when it comes to asking God to bless us, there's a good way to do it and a great way to do it. Verse five Page 789, Matthew chapter eight. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now our story opens with a centurion, a Roman centurion, so he's not Jewish. A Roman centurion coming to Jesus, asking for help, asking him for a blessing, a little bit like us going to our mom and asking her for lunch, asking Jesus to do something kind for him. Now what he wants is a healing for his servant who's at home and is paralyzed. And Jesus asks him a question, it's really unusual. Normally what happens when someone comes and asks Jesus for healing, Jesus goes with the person and does the healing. But here, Jesus asks a question. Shall I come and heal him? And by doing it this way, by asking a question, which again is highly unusual, Jesus opens up the possibility for two options for this centurion. Option number one is what I would like to refer to as the good faith option. Jesus says to the centurion, hey, if you want, I could come to your house with you and heal your servant. Now in this good faith option, if the centurion had taken Jesus up on it, I absolutely totally believe Jesus would have gone with the centurion, gone to his house, healed the servant, and a great blessing would have taken place. In fact, this option is a really good option because if you're the centurion, I probably would be tempted to choose this option. The reason is, well, if Jesus goes with you, well, then you got to get to watch the miracle happen. You get to see like, is he going to spit on the ground? Is he going to put his hand on this man? Is he going to say a prayer? You get to be there when it happens. I also think, well, man, if you're the centurion, I choose this option because... Well, you get to see the look on your servant's face when he gets healed. You get to be there when it happens and when there's the celebration, you can be present for it. I also, if I'm the centurion, would think, well, yeah, I could also make sure I kind of control the process. Like Jesus can get distracted on the way, lots of other people, but if I walk with him, we can make sure that we get to the house and that we're there in time. And... The people in the house, the other people, my kids, my wife, the others, they get to see this happen. And although I'm not the one doing the healing, they're clearly gonna connect it to me because I'm the one who brought Jesus with me. And they're gonna think, oh yeah, the centurion, he must have good in with Jesus. He got him here. And plus, if there's anybody else in the house, I could be like, hey, Jesus, my son's stomach's kind of bothering him. Could Could you heal this one too while you're here? So in this first option, What Jesus is offering genuinely to the centurion is, is, look, I'll come with you and we can just go do this right now in your home. It's kind of like when uh, you ask mom for lunch and then you get to say, hey, look, this is what I'd like in it. And you get to watch her make it and you get right there and you get to make sure the lunch turns out exactly the way you want it. Just enough chips, the good apple and not the bad pear and all the stuff that you want in your lunch. And I genuinely believe that it would be by faith that the centurion would have Jesus come with him to his house, get to see a healing, and there would be great blessing and celebration. But the crazy thing is by Jesus asking the question, instead of just going, it's actually an invitation for a second option. And if we call the first option the good faith option, the second option is what I will entitle the great Faith option. Look in verse eight. When given the choice, do you want me to come? The centurion replies, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now I think this second option is the harder option. The reason it's the harder option is because the centurion doesn't actually get to see the healing take place. What he's asking for from Jesus is, look, you could come with me. That'd be great. But I don't actually need you to. You can just say the word right now and my servant would be healed. It takes more faith to do it this way because the centurion's not going to watch the healing take place. In fact, he's going to have to leave Jesus believing that the healing has happened instead of seeing it take place. When he gets to his home, nobody may know that he had this conversation with Jesus. They may think, well, maybe this guy got healed. We don't know how this happened. And if there's anything else that this man might want Jesus to do for him, he doesn't get to say, hey, while you're here, take care of my son, or could you help my daughter? Could you do this? He doesn't kind of get to show him off to all his family and friends in the town. I think, wow, this is the much harder faith option. It's like you ask your mom for lunch, and you're like, you know what? You take care of it. Because in the first option, the good faith option, the centurion would be trusting Jesus for the what? The healing, genuine faith. But in the great faith option, he's not only trusting him for the what, but the how, the when, the what ifs, all the details. And essentially it's like the centurion is saying to Jesus, look, I asked for the lunch, You put in it whatever needs to go in it. And when I open it up, it'll be great. That takes a lot more faith. That's great faith. Now you might think, well, why choose the harder faith option? I mean, the servant's going to get healed either way, right? If Jesus comes with the centurion, he's going to heal the servant. And if the centurion says, you know what? I'm just gonna trust you not only for the what, but for the how, the when, and all the details, the servant gets healed that way too. Why choose the harder faith option when you could have Jesus go with you, you could be in control, you get to see what happens. Why would anybody choose the harder road? Well, look in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, What are the next three words? He was, what? Amazed. Amazed. To be amazed is to see something unexpected, to see something inspiring, to see something where your jaw drops. Whoa, did you see that? It's like when you hear an amazing singing performance and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you just sit there in stunned silence. Or like what we experienced during worship as we were thinking, is he worthy? I was like, this is incredible. Is everybody else listening? Are they feeling what I'm feeling? When you see an awesome sports play, you can't help but get up out of your seat and cheer and shout and wanna tell everybody about it. The next day you're like, did you watch that game last night? When you see an amazing aspect of creation and you sit there and you think, did you see what God did here? Like he created this beautiful forest, this amazing lake. When your grandchild does something so totally unexpected, you think I got to post this on social media. I got to tell everybody what this little guy did. Well, people in the Bible were amazed too, They're, they're people. In fact, in the Gospels, this word for amazed is used 29 times, almost always associated with Jesus. Crowds are regularly amazed at things that he taught. The disciples were amazed. They're on a boat with Jesus one time, and there's a storm going on, and Jesus wakes up. They wake him up, and he simply says, hey, be quiet. And the storm ends immediately, and it says the disciples were just stunned. And they're saying to one another, did you see that? Did you see what just happened? People are regularly amazed at how Jesus answers questions. People show up and they got all sorts of befuddling, tricky questions and Jesus answers them. And the crowds are like, did you hear that answer? I've never heard anything like that before. Pilate is amazed when at his trial and people are bringing false accusations against Jesus, he does not defend himself and Pilate can't believe it. He's stunned and amazed. But of all 29 times that the word amazed is used in the Gospels, only one time is Jesus ever said to be amazed at somebody in a positive way. And it's right here. See, Jesus is human just like we're human. He experiences the same emotions we experience. He knew what joy was. He understood what fear was. He felt discouragement. He also was sometimes... Amazed, which means that in his human nature, when Jesus saw this happen, he was stunned. And I like to picture in my mind, what does it look like for Jesus to be amazed? And I like to think he's sitting there like, are you kidding? Did you guys just hear what this guy said? I like to picture him slack jawed, looking with this giant smile on his face going, that was incredible. I actually think that's why this story is in here. Without the centurion choosing the great faith option, well, this is just kind of another healing story. And there's thousands of healing stories. But I think after all of the healings that Jesus did, it's kind of like, you know, when you sit down, you're going to put together the Shutterfly photo album thing and you're trying to look what pictures to put in. I think he sees this picture and through the Holy Spirit, he's like, we got to put that story in there. People got to know what this guy did. Like that was so incredible. Do you remember that moment? And I can see Jesus saying to the Holy Spirit, do you remember that moment? Put that in. That's why this story is here. It's a routine healing otherwise. But the centurion, Jesus is stunned. Look what he says at the end of verse 10. He turns to those following him. He's just like we are, he's gotta tell somebody. Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What? Anyone in Israel? Not even John the Baptist? Not even Peter? Not even Mary? No one in Israel. Do you hear Jesus? He is like, did you see that? He is stunned and amazed. Why would anybody choose the harder faith option? How would it feel to be the person who got to amaze Jesus? How would it feel to be somebody who when Jesus saw your faith was like, whoa, check that out, that is awesome. That's the great faith option. When we say to God, Look, I'm not only willing to trust you with the what, but the how, the when, the what ifs. I'm gonna leave that up to you. He mentions in Israel, and it reminds me of Moses, who, when he was asked to lead God's people, Moses was like, "Well, what am I gonna say to him when they ask me your name?" And what if, what if they don't believe me? And what if these miracles don't work? And what if I'm not good? All the what ifs. And he needs an explanation of every one of the what ifs. And finally God gets frustrated with them and was like, look, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. The centurion does the opposite of that. He's like, I don't need answers to the what ifs. I don't have to see it. I don't need to know what's going on in the lunch. I trust you. Hebrews 11 says, apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the good faith option, that would definitely be pleasing to Jesus. If this guy had enough faith to believe that Jesus could heal his servant, and if he came with, if Jesus came with the centurion, God would have been pleased with that. But how much more pleased is God with the great faith option? When the centurion says to Jesus, hey, you know what? You take care of the how, you take care of the when, you take care of the what ifs, I trust you. Now, what is it that the centurion knows that we need to be reminded of so that this morning we might choose the same thing? Well, there's two things. One, verse eight, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. I think what the centurion is thinking about here that enables him to trust Jesus, not just with the what, but with the how and the when and the what ifs and all the details is that he knows that Jesus loves him. When he says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, what he's saying is he understands he is a Gentile sinner and Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And no circumstances would a Gentile sinner deserve to have the Jewish Messiah come to his house. Likewise, as a centurion who is somewhat high ranking, he gets there is no way he would deserve having a person who outranks the emperor of Rome coming to his house. But yet this person who is both the Jewish Messiah and outranks the emperor of Rome is standing there in the flesh talking to him. Why, why would somebody who is so holy, who is so powerful and so full of glory be present having this conversation? Because he loves him totally and completely. The reason why the centurion has the courage to ask as a Gentile, sinner, low ranking army officer has the courage to ask is because he knows that Jesus loves him for the God of the universe to become human, to dwell with us, why would he ever do that? Total, complete, unfailing love. The reason why you can trust mom with lunch is mom loves you. My mom loves to make food for me and my family. She loves to see the smiles on our faces. Moms and dads love their kids. The reason why you can trust them to make the lunch is because they not only love you, they want you to have good health habits. They got all that stuff in mind. Moms love kids. That's why I don't have to like watch over the process to make sure that no poison gets slipped in. No, moms do that. <laughs> How much more Jesus? The reason why the centurion's like, you know what, I'm good. I don't have to watch the process. If you love me enough to become a human... You're going to love me enough to take care of this and whatever is the right way to take care of it. The second thing that the centurion understands that we need to be reminded of, which enables him to totally trust Jesus in such an amazing way, is he gets how much authority and power Jesus has. He's a Roman soldier. He gets how this works. He's like, hey, look, in my world, when I get orders, I carry them out. When I give orders, I expect them carried out. This is how authority works. This is how power works. And he comes to Jesus and says, you have authority, meaning anything you say will come to pass. I don't actually think the centurion knows exactly how Jesus is gonna do this. He doesn't know if perhaps he's going to say the word and an angel is going to come and actually do the healing. I don't know, he thinks that perhaps a doctor, Jesus is going to motivate a doctor to come and heal him that way. Maybe Jesus is going to say the word and the person is going to get sort of better over time. I don't think the centurion knows. He just simply says, look, you've got the kind of authority that if you say the word, it's going to happen. I don't have to watch it. I'm not quality control. I don't have to ensure it's going to date place. You have the kind of authority that if you say it, it will come to pass. That's the reason why we can trust mom with lunch. Mom controls the grocery budget. If she doesn't have something in the house, she can go to the store and buy it. Mom's got the ability. She knows how to make lunch. She's got a lot more experience than we do. When it's time to ask mom, hey, look, could you bless me with this? I don't have to worry about, oh, what if she doesn't know what she's doing? She knows what she's doing. How much more does Jesus know what he's doing? And so the centurion says, you know what? I don't have to know the how. I don't have to know the when. I don't have to have all of my what ifs answered. When you say the word, it will happen. Now the point for you and I today is we're actually in a better spot, the centurion, to know these things. The centurion knows that Jesus loves him on the basis of the incarnation. And the centurion knows that Jesus has authority on the basis of what he's seen so far. We sit on the other side of a major event that the centurion hadn't seen yet, which is the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. And on the other side of the cross, we know that Jesus didn't just love us enough to become human. He loves us so totally and completely that he died on a cross for our sins. And we know not just that Jesus has some level of authority from the Father in heaven, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus and under the earth and that anything he says go because Jesus is Lord. And so you and I are actually in a better seat than the centurion because we can look in Jesus and go, well, if you love the centurion, how much more clear is it that you love me? And if you had authority to take care of this back then, how much more authority do you have now to just simply say the word? So here's my challenge to each of us this morning. At the beginning of the service, we asked you to ask God for something. Are you asking for a healing? Are you asking for financial help? Are you asking for help in classes? Are you asking for help with loneliness or for a friend? Are you asking for someone to come to faith? Is there something that you would like to ask God to do for you? And if there is, I think this passage was chosen by God for us, each of us this morning, as an invitation to say, please trust me with the what? And if you're willing, trust me with the how, the when, the what ifs, and all of the details. For myself this week, as I was getting ready to preach and prepare this message, the Lord brought something to mind in which I'm trying to exercise faith and I am trusting him for the what. And then I looked at this and I thought, yeah, but what that guy's doing That's not what I'm doing. I like to know what Jesus is up to. I want to know, well, when's this going to happen? And I want to know how he's going to do it. And I want to know what's going to happen if this happens and what's going to happen if that happens. And I read this passage and I heard an invitation from Jesus to say, you can trust me with the rest of it too. And so by faith, I'm trying to trust him to say, you know what, Lord, I don't need to know the how. I don't need to know the when. I still want to. But I don't need to. I don't need to know the what ifs because by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to be a person whose faith amazes Jesus. And so that's the choice for you this morning. If you're at all able to exercise faith and believe Jesus for the what, that is super pleasing to God. And so I'm not sure that this invitation this morning is for everybody in the room, but I know it's for some of us that you have been trusting God for the what. And this morning he's saying, look, you can trust me for the how. You can trust me for the when. You can trust me for the what ifs. And that this centurion, whose story is recorded here by the power of the Holy Spirit, is offering us a choice. And the choice is we can say to Jesus, look, I just wanna have lunch with you. You can figure out what we're eating. You can figure out where we're going. You can figure out what's there. I know you love me. I know you're better at this than I am. I know that anything you decide will come to pass and you don't actually need my help to pull it off. Jesus, I trust you. Let's pray together. Man, Lord, thank you for this story. I don't know how in the world that centurion did that. I don't know how he did it before he had the Holy Spirit in the same way we have him now. I don't know how he did it before the cross took place. But thanks for this story. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would use this in a mighty way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so this morning, Jesus, we have heard an invitation from you. I genuinely believe you're asking each one of us, do you want me to come with you? And Lord, for those whose faith is at that point where they just want to say yes, they need to see it. They need to see the hows and they need the what ifs answered. Please answer their what ifs. You are a kind and good and generous God and please be pleased with the faith that they have to believe you for the what. But Lord, there's some of us here who need to believe you for some more. We have the opportunity to believe you for the how and the when and the what ifs. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, we do trust you. You are so good. You are unfailingly loving. And Jesus, you have all authority. Forgive us for thinking we could tell you better how to make the lunch. And I ask for each one of my brothers and sisters who are hearing this message this morning. Lord, I pray that there be somebody in this room, multiple people in this room, multiple people who are listening, who decide to follow this example. And Jesus, I pray that You just would be smiling down from heaven, amazed and pleased that your people believe enough in you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.